Listeners, welcome to Super Baby Bros episode 40 of season 2. I'm Phil. Laurie, hello. Hi Phil, how you doing? What, what's going on with the voice? What do you mean? Well, you sound, you sound like a rusty old cowboy. Do I really? I have to admit, listeners, that my voice didn't sound like this this morning. It actually sounded fairly normal. But over the course of the day, it's almost as if I've smoked 40 cigarettes. Cigarettes. Cigarettes, yes. The fact that you say cigarettes makes me think you've never smoked a cigarette. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be sophisticated on some level. Mm. Is, is it really hard to actually listen to me talk, Phil? No, I think it's kind of enchanting, like you're just telling a, a story at a bar, a well, saloon. I was imagining myself as a cowboy saying, howdy, hey, I'm here to track down a fella by the name of Red... Justice. Justice. <laughs> and uh, he may not be a God-fearing man, but he will be by the morning. That kind of thing. Yeah, very cool. Very dusky and... Did that sound good? Sun-scorched. Mm. If only we could be cowboys. Anyway, listeners, welcome to the show. We've got two new films for you, and then we've also got what we've been watching. We've got a little discussion topic from Phil. Kind of all sorts of things. A little bit of a classic Super Bailey Bros show. Are we still going with Super Bailey Bros? Oh, yeah, we should do that, shouldn't we? Maybe. I mean, we've actually had quite a lot of correspondence on this. Let's use the correspondence in the email section towards the end of the show this week. But we're still thinking about the rebrand. Basically, no one wants us to do it, which I'm not surprised by because, you know, they've been listening to us for two years. Phil. People don't like change. And uh, maybe they're worried that it will go down and maybe it will attract the wrong sort of people. Possibly. You know, if we become the Movieland podcast. But then that- I was on Radio Oxford on Saturday morning, Phil, at 6.30 a.m., and it was just, you know, Ali Jones said, uh, here's Laurie Bailey from the Super Bailey Bros, uh, Bros in movie. And I could tell that she wasn't sure to say Bros or Bros. And it's like Moss, Moss, that Moss company that sells Moss suits. Bros. Yeah, I wasn't going to name drop it because, okay. you know. Well, they're not paying us, are they? Well, I don't know, <laughs> but, you know. We're not a BBC here. Other rental suits are available, <laughs> listeners. But yeah, I never know if it's Bros or Bros or Booze or whatever it is. One thing I will say to listeners again is that I'm so glad that you love the name because what I'm taking that to mean is that you love the show and you love how it feels and you like uh, hearing us. We wouldn't change and the show wouldn't change, but the, just the name would change. And it is specifically the Super Bailey Bros part that would change. I don't know whether we'd stick with Movie Maybe we would. I was thinking of some other names. That I, I like Movie Land. I like Movie Land. This is the thing, listeners. You need to choose your battles. And do you want to change entirely to like film time with Laurie and Phil and just be boring and bland? Or do you want to keep some of what we've got going already? I like the Movie Land name. And it, well, let's keep chatting about it and we'll come to those emails later. Thank you for being in touch. So the films Laurie's seen this week, the cinema releases are Victoria and Abdul. Mm. Did you know Victoria had a friend called Abdul? <gasps> I know, Shock horror. Shocking indeed. And uh, then also you've seen American Assassin as well. Mm, that's Dylan O'Brien who was in The Maze Runner. Do you remember him? Yeah, the main he guy. Thomas, yeah. And also Michael Keaton, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, in what is meant to be an espionage thriller. And we can come to that later. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to go and see any new releases, but I guarantee I will be seeing Kingsman for next week, mm. Secret, the Golden Circle, whatever. Yes, that's it. So do get your emails in if you go see that this weekend. Yeah, you Love can get ahead of the you. game, listeners, yeah. But I have seen a couple of what we've been watching. Laurie's seen a couple of what we've been watching. I think we might even have a little bit of a back and forth going on for what we've been watching. Fun, yeah, I think so. It does occur to me, Phil, one, one thing we discussed last week and we got a positive response for is the idea of themed episodes. So Phil and I were thinking maybe once a month, or maybe we should do it once every six weeks or something, we could do a themed episode that isn't about new releases but instead targets a specific category or director just something specific in film that we can watch you know four or six films about and have a fun themed episode and it did occur to me phil that with the release of lara croft tomb raider the new trailer warner brothers new take on it with Alicia by 
coming out at the moment and everyone laughing because the neck on the poster is really weird. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, I haven't so seen funny. it. You've got to I'll see check it. it out. It's really good. Uh, maybe what we should do for our first themed episode is video game adaptations. Right from the beginning, right the way through. I'd enjoy that. I'd be up for that. But it does occur to me that if we're going to see Kingsman, then maybe we shouldn't do it next week. Ooh. Anyway, look, there's a little tantalising teaser, listeners, to stay tuned, not just this week, but next too. Let's get going, shall we? Yeah, just a quick shout out to those who's been supporting us on Patreon. It really means a lot. Super mm. Bailey. Patreon.com slash Super Bailey Bros. Yeah. Thank you, Laurie. Messed that one up. You can email the show, superbaileybros at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at Super Bailey Bros. Thanks very much for all those who got in touch. Mm, we love getting your correspondence, and we always cover as much of it as we possibly can at, towards the end of every episode. Right. I think that's enough chit-chat. Can you say something cool in your husky voice? What I haven't mentioned at all, Laurie, is that I'm feeling a little bit under the weather too. It's not all about Laurie and his croaky no, voice. No, I think the thing is my voice I'm all nasal terrible, and but nerdy. I feel sort of okay. Oh. You, you maybe feel worse, I don't know. I think I do. And but yeah, you're getting all the sympathy. What can I leave us with? How about this? As I rode off that morning, the dusky sunset, I left behind my hopes, my fears, but also my troubles. Free man, a new man. Is that what was waiting for me beyond the horizon? Come on, uh, that's pretty good. I mean, it's it's very literary, but does it lead us on to the next part of the show? You here! <laughs> what do you know about Queen Victoria, Phil? Uh, she wasn't very pretty. She loved. What are you talking about? She looks exactly like Emily Blunt. <laughs> oh, zing! <laughs> no, best I've got. she's famously not very pretty, and. Um, she wore black lots because she was mourning Albert, her great love. Yes. Who was also her cousin or something like that. It's very oh, weird. He? He's sort of Germanic from that, based on, again, on that Emily Blunt film, Young Victoria, which I really quite like, by the way. Okay, we could keep on talking about Emily Blunt if you like. No, but let's not do She's that. not in this film, is she? No. Yes, listeners, this is the last 15 years of Queen Victoria's life and about what appears to be the true story of a really close friendship and professional relationship with a guy called Abdul Karim. And he was plucked kind of literally from obscurity in uh, one of the British colonies in India to serve the Queen when she visited over there at some point and became friends with her and began teaching her uh, Urdu, which in the film they describe as the Muslim version of Hindi. And the household didn't like it. They thought, what is this common-born person doing teaching the Queen a foreign language? She's the Empress of India. She's the Queen. This is totally inappropriate. And they resented his influence over her. She seemed to love him even more, give him state rooms, invite his wife to come and stay there. She gave him the title of the Munchi, which is a sort of advisor role to the Queen. And also she made him, I think it was the CVO, the commander of the Victorian Order or something like that, which was quite a specific... Like a knighthood, like an OBE. Well, something. she wanted apparently to give him a knighthood, but relented because everyone was horrified at that idea. And this all came out of some letters that were reported to have been found on Abdul Karim's side, but as late as 2010. So it's a relatively recent story and it got turned into a novel Um Part of the story and part of the account of these letters is that all the documents and the photos on Queen Victoria's side, or almost all of them, were destroyed at the point of her death because the rest of the household and her son, Edward Seventh, I think he was, uh, would, they were horrified at this friendship and didn't want it to be recorded as part of history, so tried to erase it. 
nevertheless some photos have survived so it's quite an interesting sort of shrouded in mystery hidden piece of history that you might not have considered right so it's like hidden figures but the victorian version yeah kind of and it's just really fascinating that this guy who was not just uh, a common born guy from india but also a muslim as well was advising the queen and they really pushed that like he gives a sort of uh, a muslim counseling <laughs> on her deathbed which I, I don't know maybe that's true it seems unlikely because she was meant to be the head of the church whatever it was but who knows uh, but yeah listeners all that sort of serious side of so history. So Queen Victoria Muslim? No, well, no, 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 no. And never hear me even suggest that for a second. I have no idea whatsoever. But she obviously did trust this guy. But all that sort of serious history aside, this is the fluffiest, lightest piece of cinema you're likely to watch all year. Dame Judi Dench plays Queen Victoria like she's just a pensioner who's a bit bored. She slurps her soup and burps and things and everyone sort of is on tenterhooks around her because they want her favour but they find her a bit cantankerous and then this guy Ali Faisal who's a Bollywood star plays Abdul Karim as the most sort of glittery eyed like handsome charming uh, exotic figure from this other colony uh, that we'd all be charmed by him instantly because he wins her over by just making eye contact and <laughs> she's oh, right, okay. almost instantly and then brings him in and, and it's not surprising that that's all accomplished through Stephen Frears' direction. Do you know who Stephen Frears is? I'm afraid I don't. So he did The Queen and Philomena, two fairly serious things, but he also did Florence Foster Jenkins, and he's one of these guys who you knows... love his... that film, though. I do love it, and he knows his way around farce, and he knows his way around sort of twee Britannia of the sort that will have us all tittering as we hold cups of Earl Grey with our little finger out. <laughs> and have afternoon tea. That sort of business. He is the man for the job. Listeners, I hope I'm painting a picture for you. Let's have a clip of the film. It's really quite clear. You've already heard this clip, Phil, and you were sort of snorting at its um, cheesiness, weren't you? It's so stupid. Here we go. This is Queen Victoria and Adil Kareem, for, and they first broach the potential for her to learn this language. Here we go. I want you to teach me Indian. Indian? Hindu, whatever it is you speak. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. But why would you like to learn Hindi, Your Majesty? Well, I'm Empress of India. Look, I've ordered a book. I want you to give me private lessons. I can't teach you Hindi, Your Majesty. Why ever not? You are the Empress of India. You should learn Urdu, the language of the Mughals. There are a thousand languages in India. But Urdu is the most noble. In Hindi, you write like this. Mm. Huh? But in Urdu, you write like this. Main Rani Hoon. I am the queen. I see. Main? Main. Rani. 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 Hum. 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 He's teaching her Hindu. Is that allowed? <clears throat> I think you will find it is Urdu. The Muslim version. Oh my goodness me. Yeah, so it's sugary sweet and... Let me tell you, the cinema I was in was absolutely in a specific demographic. Oh, really? And they chuckled at everything. <laughs> I mean, absolutely everything. So every single joke, <laughs> no matter how obvious, scored a complete home run in that cinema. <laughs> I just think it just screams 
Judy Dench and Abdul rather than anything else. Do you like, think so? Let's just throw Judy Dench on the screen and we'll get some tickets sold. Well, I'm glad you say that because fortunately, with all the sort of farcicalness of it and it being a bit twee and lightweight, they do, you know, not shirk away from some of the more serious things that happen later on because the household really didn't like this guy and they didn't like his influence and they really did stage some pretty serious sort of interventions in this whole relationship and they brought the issue of the empire into question and the ethics of it uh, the idea of having someone of a differing religion in such sort of close proximity to the queen the idea of the queen's own detachment and loneliness and sort of bitterness and the idea that she felt estranged from her own subjects that is all hinted at and actually quite nicely exposed very subtly all towards the back end of the film and you know it really outdoes itself for emotion uh, right at the end as well trying to make it as serious as possible um so i think actually that there, there are hidden depths to it that you wouldn't expect but a lot of people are going to find it very very tedious and just eye-rolling in its sort of obviousness like there's a whole sequence near the beginning with everyone like the, i should say the sets instantly are sumptuous is the only word i can think of like everything is perfect in terms of production designs like so many perfectly pressed red jackets with golden buttons and things but there are scenes where they're just putting soup on a table and like they it's so sort of indulgent in its direction because there is there is a shot of everything and there's over the top time given to everything you know the head waiter who's very stuffy and looks outraged yes exactly these indian interlopers and a little boy who has to run down this long corridor saying soup we need more soup you're getting you're getting this and then a a man at the top head of the table who calls out the courses and bellows soup you can picture it every chance there is to score a music goal is taken so i can see why a lot of people would dismiss it and find it tedious does it just feel like the gentle role of uh, a low tide or something like that? Yeah, although low tide stinks, so <laughs> I don't think I get <laughs> Maybe this stinks as well. Uh, no, it doesn't. It's okay. It's totally middle of the road. And for my money, which I paid, <laughs> I would give it a, uh, well, a, maybe a B minus. It's that sort of level. It's not, it doesn't really deserve to be in the C because it knows exactly what it's targeting and it hits every mark perfectly and it is beautifully put together. I just found it a bit too sentimental, basically. Do you find that um, it, it has that sometimes sometimes movies of this sort when it's dealing with a historical figure they kind of write in what they want somebody to be like and they kind of use the fact that it is a historical figure and there's a bit of uh, a distance to what they're like and they basically take the the persona that is known the public persona and yeah. then they they go behind the scenes and they make up the behind the scenes well, to you, suit their own purposes yeah and just make well, them into some sort of modern character so this is something actually i think that the film i don't know whether the film intentionally hints at this but i think is quite interesting because you could accuse it of a revisionist approach to this relationship because all the documents were destroyed maybe you know, it's overemphasizing some of the relationship and the influence and everything else. Although there really do seem to be historical records of it. But, but just it's all he- on his side. Well, yeah, but just as easily... Do you reckon he's just like, I'm best buds with the Queen and yeah, he like, met them once? Is, this is exactly what I mean. But just as easily, the other side, in quotes of that arrangement, burnt all the stuff. So both sides are playing the same game, if there is a game indeed being played at all. And actually, that's quite clever because, we're you know, maybe we're tempted to say, oh, Victoria's an icon and... And you're just trying to make it seem like she was way more sort of multicultural ever than, than she would have been in the early 1900s. But actually, who are we to say that? No one knows because 
her own household burnt all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, do you see true. what I mean? And, I do see that. Does and that, I, I don't know much about Victoria in her later years, but I didn't have any trouble believing that she could be rather like this. Does it have that sort of famous black and white text at the end of the uh, end of the film? I'll tell you what it did have is out of focus text. And when I alerted the cinema projectionists, they did nothing at all about it, which I was furious about. Uh, <laughs> and I know you would agree with me on that film. Mm, I do. Yes, it did. It made statements about things. And the most important bit of white uh, text on black screen that I can say to support everything I've just said is that the opening of the film starts with this is all based on true events dot 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 mostly in italic letters and so that that really sets the tree mark right up high doesn't it I don't think I really need to say any more I think it's perfectly easy Sunday afternoon cheerful watching Sunday afternoon is key get your bourbons out yeah that's right but I think it really does give you a little bit more insight or at least raise some more interesting questions than you'd expect in a film of this type just forgive it it's tweeness if you possibly can and the performances are all you know fine it's just it just feels very sort of like it's like a there's a thing in America called Hallmark movies yeah, Have you heard yeah, about those sure. yeah it, it just screams of that but like with a a bit of class to it, it because it is Judy that, Dench but with has cucumber it. sandwiches right yeah yeah exactly but Phil the cinema I was in lapped it up so it's obviously doing its job okay okay well I'm not I'm glad I didn't have to see that it was, so thanks, that was my recommendation for the week on BBC Oxford so, you know, slim pickings play yourself for worse to follow. <laughs> Laurie, um, I have gone to see Wind River. Have you? I have gone to see Wind River. Good. I went, I tried to recruit some friends, more on that later, <laughs> to go see it because of your recommendation. Good, good. Nice to know it's working. This was the film that Laurie reviewed last week, listeners, in case you missed it. Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen solve a freezy, chilly mystery crime thing on an Indian reservation. They call it an Indian reservation, in fact, yeah. In, and it's called Wind River. Yeah. Uh, I really loved it. I thought the film was great, and I think you hit it bang on the head so oh, plus good. one to you Laurie thank you I, I thought it was excellent and everything you mentioned I was really excited to see it was it was a couple of moments in that the screening where I genuinely was like because yeah. like you said you know that there's going to be action or drama just around the corner and yet when it's literally just around the corner you still get it's completely still bamboozled by it yeah completely I was the intensity away. of the violence and the intensity of the action really stood out amongst this very desolate quiet place but I loved it and I managed to recruit one of my friends to go see it good and uh, he went to see it on the back of knowing about Sicario yep, and yep. that was the only reason he was really interested in the film he said I know I like Sicario I'll go see this one did he like it? yeah he did he thought it was good he thought it was very good brilliant I'm trying to use the fact that the ta- <laughs> Taylor Sheridan was uh, involved and he was involved in Hell or High Water and yeah, Sicario yeah, yeah, nice. and try and get my film fan friends very all good. interested yeah. but man it is so hard to recommend these sorts of movies for a film trip because this sort of movie does not scream fun time had by all does I it I hear what you're saying the plot summary doesn't sound like let's horses. go investigate this horrible culturally <laughs> difficult tense moment of American society and investigate a murder. Are you saying it's specifically that kind of film that it's a challenge? Because I find actually it doesn't really matter the film. The minute I start enthusing about it to someone and saying, oh, let's go and watch it, you can just see <laughs> their alert go up. <laughs> like, hmm, hang on. <laughs> the thing is, is see, I, I texted it on the little WhatsApp group, other messaging services are available, and I said... <laughs> I don't know why you keep doing this. I, I don't, don't know, I care. feel like I want to be professional, and that's the way to do it. I don't okay, know. All right. Just play along. I'm just. This is all play, make-believe, isn't it? It's just playing it's along. True, There's true. nobody really listening. It's, it's just us talking in the real room, that's isn't it? That's what you always That's what I say to myself, know, anyway. But I said, oh, does anyone want to go see Wind River? And I was thinking, Wind River, that's going to get absolutely zero interest. What, just on its title alone, you mean? 
Yeah, it's just two random words. It may as well be rain log or something like that. To spare your blushes, I'm going to edit out the incredibly long pause. Between <laughs> too words. many other comparative <laughs> things. It took me a long time. Thank you very <laughs> much. Funny. But anyway, like it just is two random words. What does that mean? And yeah. so then I was like, well, I have to explain this. And so I'm like, like oh, John it's got, Carter. It's from the guy who's done like some really good films, and like he's done this film, this film, and you start pitching this film just so somebody will be willing to go along. And then I thought, oh no, I don't want to do any of the plot synopsis because I'm not going to do a very good job. So I literally just. Took took a screenshot of imdb's like page it said two like people go and investigate a murder and i thought i'll just leave it there and let just let it's it a sit cool you know because the visuals really do help people connect with what it might be like don't they yeah and i thought then they can google the trailer and everything like that but then also if you give the trailer then it's a very hit and miss some people don't like and it might spoil things as well exactly yeah, and so yeah. if you and i thought this is a film which i know is good because you liked it and i thought well it's definitely going to be interesting and deal with some interesting stuff it's one of those films where you just want them to come along because they trust you they yeah. trust your film opinion i'm thinking i do a film podcast come on oh, or maybe i that, can use that it doesn't carry it means nothing listeners it means <laughs> absolutely nothing listeners <laughs> all it means is that people expect you to see every film and when you're like no <laughs> they're they like so oh, miserable what? like what are you, you? What? Yeah, exactly you're not <laughs> but, a film so podcast what, guy. what are you asking the listeners here phil or me how do you do it how do you get people to go see a film when without i don't know what the technique is because literally i put that little screenshot and i said yeah, yeah. oh he's this taylor taylor sheridan or whatever he's written this and that and he's he's going to be like a big film i've heard it's really good literally <laughs> after about four hours of no one responding on this whatsapp group at all to any of it i just put a little gif of uh a rolling tumbleweed. Oh, no. And that was it. It and is a really tough one because, I mean, there's all sorts of problems because the more you try to persuade people, also the higher the expectations are going to be for this film. So you're setting yourself up for a fall just for the sake of getting them to come in the first place so that then when they watch it, they're like, well, that wasn't as good as you said it would be. You're like, oh, no. This is the constant battle yeah. I have with uh, my very lovely fiancé because she's got this rolling tally in her head of my film successes. Oh, so no, really? I have this very strong opinion that you should just go fil- see a film and the experience of going to see the film, it, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. But it's then an you experience get, in and of itself. Yeah, and it? then you talk about it and you just say what worked, what didn't. And maybe sometimes it's really good and you all enjoy it and that's great. Other times it's terrible, but you have fun, enjo- like you're just watching it I and then you, you talk about I it. You. I just... The the experience of it is worth it in her mind it's very much like you have to get it 100% right or else you're in trouble and like I still have to deal with the fact that I recommended her you know that film yes her? bad choice with Scarlett Hansen as this little um, uh, what's his name Siri type she's voice she's iOS isn't she and, yeah. and Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with her I love the film she still brings up to this day this is like way before we even started dating yeah. all this sort of stuff I know your fiance and Ellie I'm with you on this one <laughs> no it's a good film I enjoy it I liked it but anyway I don't know what to do I need help listeners how do you recommend or what films? have been successful ways you've done it yeah how do you entice them to go see a movie at the cinema to take a risk to just trust that it might be good or worth your time because if they're spending millions of dollars to try and get your ticket how are you meant to do it if well, you're just an individual i don't have many stories to relate phil and then we can, we can move on fairly shortly but i persuaded the, the group of people i was hanging out with on saturday to watch hail caesar with me and only i had seen the film at that point and it's I all did, on your shoulders isn't it well yeah and i did say to them at the time you know well it's a bit of a strange film it doesn't really have climaxes it's a sort of flat experience but it's got some really nice moments in it and it's really well produced and that kind of was everyone's experience so there was i think maybe you just need to pick your moment as well uh and it's a lot to do with time of the week or the day because sometimes people are up for just taking a chance on it and enjoying snoozing on a sofa but yeah if you're trying to persuade them to spend their hard-earned money and uh, come out in the evening not so much maybe 
tricky though because I knew well having gone to see the film it was a great film I think it's yeah. the sort of film which lots of people would be very glad to have seen afterwards yeah Wind but River is really worth it just enticing them listeners I need your help Super well, Baby is, you can also give Phil a you know a little uh, what's the word I'm looking for you can prop up his confidence because I'm sure Phil as has happened many times on this very podcast you would have persuaded many people to go and see films that's but normally they thought. don't sit there and listen to you talk for 10 minutes face to face yeah that's true that's very true uh, oh right. well Good luck, man. Listeners, let us know. Superbaileybros at gmail.com, at Superbaileybros on Twitter. Now, Phil, I hope we can make this review fairly brief. This, I feel no shame in saying at the top of the review, was my film to avoid on my BBC Oxford slot on Saturday. And here's one major reason why. The BBFC, Phil, have rated American Assassin 18 for strong, sadistic, bloody violence. Oh. Oh, Put that in my diary, please. Yeah. Yeah, why? Why would Sadistic. They do that? I mean, are you kidding me? I'm sorry, that's a bit too strong, isn't it? There we are. That's how I felt um, straight away. And well, what can I say? It lives up to its billing film. This is based on a book or a series of books, uh, and there's a character called Mitch Rapp. And Mitch Rapp here is played by Dylan O'Brien. Just let me pause you on that. What is the deal with all these book series with terrible lead characters? I'm going to come on to this, Phil. I'm going to come on to this. The basic premise of this guy, certainly as the film tells it, is that he's trying to propose to his girlfriend on a beach in a beautiful resort. And, you know, after she said yes and he's gone to get drinks, uh, terrorists are just there and open fire on all the holidaymakers on the beach. Absolutely horrifying in every conceivable way, I'm sure you'd agree. Mm. And the f- the film spares no details. Oh, it, really? uh, yeah, it makes a very strong point about what it's saying and what this scene is meant to be. And basically after that, this guy Mitch Rapp becomes an insane revenge-a-thon sort of guy. He is in his room and he is pretending to... Uh, be a supporter of things like Islamic State or whatever it is so that he can get in with the leaders these terrorist leaders but then of course once he's there he can take them all out and exact the justice that he feels is required because of his loss. Now I want to stop right there listeners because I feel like I must be misunderstanding something because every review I've seen on it, uh, seen of this film since I gave my thoughts on it doesn't seem to think that that introduction is a problem I think it's massively a problem. It's real well, world life yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think it is the most insensitive setup for a film I have ever seen. It is so unpleasant and poorly timed. And I can't help but feel that whoever put it out there thinks that the fact that this is a hot topic in the world makes it great timing. And I hate that. And I think maybe you share that with me, Phil. I just, I don't, I wouldn't say hate, hate's a strong word, but I do hate I really, it, really Phil. don't like it. I do hate it because this film, although it has sort of attempts to justify it and say, oh, you know, uh, we shouldn't, it shouldn't make these things personal. That's going to come up in the clip we're going to hear in a minute. And tries to sort of draw lines and say, oh, it's not as simple as just taking revenge on everyone you see, that kind of thing. I do think... It doesn't apologise for itself. It's, it puts it, it sets it up to say that this is an entirely justified response. Something noble or something dignified. Yeah, like. it absolutely praises and applauds vigilantism, which I think is completely irresponsible. Yeah. I, I think it's terrible. So, listeners, if you want to switch off my review or skip ahead to the next section, you're very welcome to do so. But I don't mind telling you, I think this is in exceptionally poor taste and it makes it even worse that Dylan O'Brien is in it because I like him I thought he's good in The Maze Runner I think he's got potential as a leading guy I like Michael Keaton I don't know why he's in this film he turns up later on as the sort of grouchy 
uh, counter-terrorist expert. Because, of course, Phil, this sort of live wire Mitch Rapp, who's trying to track down terrorists in a one-man war against terrorism, the CIA seem to think that's awesome. What could be a better qualification for joining their ranks in an elite counter-terrorist unit? And they find him and say, I'm going to take a chance on this guy. They send him off to Michael Keaton's hard-nosed guy, and he's predictably tough as nails and, you know, doesn't stop at punching people in the face or giving people horrible electroshock treatment and spouting every cliched line about the minute you get captured, gun in the mouth, shoot yourself. You know, like it's... Oh, I'm starting to make me annoyed. Should we let's, just play a clip? Let's play the clip and you can calm down a little bit. <laughs> I need bit. to cool down, don't I? So this clip is a great example of that real gritty seriousness that this training camp offers because what Michael Keaton thinks is a great way to motivate Mitch Rapp to learn a lesson is to play him the video of that beach scene. So he's captured it from the guy's phone because he was filming it at the time. He plays it to Mitch Rapp to provoke a response and, you know, teach him a vital lesson about his job. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Here we go. Want to see me, sir? Yeah. Shut the door. We're shipping out. Set those down there. You like movies? Sure. Got something for you. What the f- is this? Yeah, I thought so. You thought so? Yeah. I love you so much. Want me to turn it up? Yeah. Well, take it. Take you it. little coward, you know that? Turn that shit off. What do you think? It's my mom's ring. You gonna turn it off? Am I supposed to feel sorry for you? Don't. Never, ever let it get personal. Understand? Right, Laurie, how are you feeling? Are you calmed down a little bit? Are you ready to just <laughs> dissect it just as a film, you know, fun entertainment film podcast? Yeah, I'm sorry, listeners, if that was very preachy of me to say. And I, I really do mean that. I'm sorry, because I think it's entirely impossible to enjoy this film if you sort of disconnect from the context. But you think it's a bit reckless. That's basically what you're saying. I don't understand it. I don't understand how these filmmakers can make it the way that they've done it. So that's how it is. But I understand that's me. <laughs> so let's let that go. And I can tell you about it as a film. Weirdly enough, I think there are things about it to slightly recommend it because it has an oddly frenetic, like everything's going to fall apart feel to the action sequences of which there are many. Nothing goes right in this film. None of the plans anyone has ever go right. None of the people are really right for the jobs that they're in, in the context of the film, I mean, not as actors. Uh, And everything feels like it's constantly about to go terribly, terribly wrong. So when Taylor Kitsch turns up, uh, and he was John Carter, wasn't he? He was Tim Riggins in Friday Night Lights. That's his big one. There we go, sure. As you say, Phil, I know you love how much you love that show. Great show, great uh, show. So, so I hear, so you need I to hear. watch it. When he turns up as a possible sort of baddie, but a super baddie, like almost a James Bond super spy guy who's working for the bad guys, it is kind of nervy, and he plays him with a sort of insanity that's quite believable. I quite like him as a performer, and he does the best with the material he's got. So... There are kind of things about it that work on a pacing and an action standpoint, but the dialogue is just sort of nonsensical. Like, you have to suspend your disbelief. Yeah, it's there's no way these guys are CIA. There's no way that anything they do would ever correspond to reality in the way that it's presented. But you are saying that the main guy, do you feel like he's in peril all the time, even though he's kind of this super guy? It's more from himself, because it looks like he's about to tip over the edge at all moments of the film. And they do everything they can to provoke that response in him as well. There are stupid things. It's actually a more straightforward plot than it seems. 
it's not really that much of an espionage thriller. It's way more like a revenge flick with this guy, Mitch Rapp, taking insane risks and somehow getting away with it. But is it an action movie? Well, yeah, I'd say it's more action than espionage, which is why I'm praising the action. But I don't think I can really praise much else. Michael Keaton is fine. He delivers a over-the-top, you know, cheesy performance. Scenery chewing, as some people say. He also chews something else. (laughs) <laughs> that contributed to giving the film its 18 rating oh, gosh. Uh, in a scene that made me feel physically sick. Yeah. Um, Do you think it is just too violent and unnecessarily like... What did, what did the BBFC say? 18 for strong, sadistic, bloody violence. So then... Do you think there isn't much really to enjoy because of that? Does that taint the whole film? It depends on your threshold, as I said. Like, especially even with that opening scene, if you can detach yourself from the realism of that, and if you don't mind bloody violence and stuff, then you, you probably have a, a relatively enjoyable ride. It's kind of on a par uh, in terms of its story and approach with like Jack Reacher or the latest Jason Bourne film. Well, that's the thing. It's hitting all those sort of book tropes, those kind of yeah, just large with and life characters. more violence and less intrigue. So the intrigue is not great, and you'll see it coming a mile away. Was it more um, violent than Limehouse Golem? Different kind of violence. So it wasn't disturbing violence, to my mind. It was much more immediate and Hollywoody, but there's just a lot of it. Okay. Any bonuses, any grades? <laughs> well, there is going to be a grade. What is your grade? Well, I feel I have to give it a C plus because I can't pretend I didn't find it distasteful uh, for the very reasons I outlined earlier, and it, bring it brings it down a whole grade for me. I think... If it had steered clear of some sensitive things that were just so poorly handled, then maybe I'd be giving it a B minus. And I really do like Dylan O'Brien. I, w- I want the guy to succeed. And I think he does an admirable job of being this troubled young man. I like Michael Keaton, even though it's a weird performance. So, yeah, I think C plus is about right. Do you think if they had been a bit stronger and criticised this whole setup and and you can almost see the ridiculousness of this man's thoughts in how he's going to tackle this problem, being a one-man wrecking ball and get his revenge and take them on. Mm-hmm. If they had made that sort of ridiculous and undermined that in some sort of capacity, do you reckon the film would have been better overall? Well, I mean, there are so many films that basically do this already. I mean, for example, Patriot Games, have you seen that one? Uh, that with where, Harrison Ford? Yeah, and Sean Bean. And Sean Bean is playing an IRA terrorist, isn't he? There are good ways in film to use exactly the same setup. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but close, without it being distasteful. So I think all I can think is that they wanted that there. And they want that controversy. They specifically wanted it there, which is what makes me not like it, because I think that just shows a lack of judgment. And I, I don't know. I feel like, how can it not stoke some terrible prejudice, basically? And anyway, like, I can't talk about any more film. I'm going to get too angry again. Any bonuses? <laughs> nope. Try and avoid it if you can. <laughs> That's uh, the bonus. Okay. At the very least, until it's out on streaming services. But then I feel guilty about that because I like Dylan O'Brien and I, I want them to succeed. Just choose better films, mate. There you go. That's American Assassin 18. Watch with caution. Is that what you're saying? Or just don't watch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, listeners, a slightly different uh, what we've been watching this week, just because both the films I said I could cover, Phil has already seen. So we'll do both of those, and Phil can give some input. Um, but you have seen a film I have not seen, so why don't we start with that one? Okay, I'll kick it off. This is Netflix's big blowout documentary. It is Icarus. I was thinking that it would start, I ask you questions, and you answer yes or no. Were you the mastermind that cheated the Olympics? Yes. Today, the World Anti-Doping Agency suspended Russia's sports drug testing lab. 
99% of Russian athletes are guilty of doping. It's worse than we thought. If this is true, it is an unimaginable level of criminality. I was helping to facilitate one of the most elaborate doping ploys in a sport history. This goes all the way back to 1968. Every sport was Putin aware of the existence of the Russian doping system? Yes. We are top-level cheaters. This all can be proved. It's quite mind-blowing. New York Times is breaking tomorrow. Tomorrow. It has the potential of affecting the credibility of all sport. Why would I watch an event that's fixed? You in any danger? Yes. I need to escape. Putin will kill me. Holy sh Putin calls the claims the slander of a turncoat. Two people connected with the Russian doping program are already dead. There never was anti-doping in Russia, ever. Be very careful what was your recording. Now, Phil, I, I feel I need to be honest with you straight away. Uh, watching the trailer there, interesting, fascinating. There's lots of stories breaking about this all over the world at the moment. But the thing is, the way that that is shot looks unmistakably filmic to me. I'm not getting the vibe that this was some kind of hyper-investigative journalism, so I'm already predisposed, rather like the scandal of doping in the Olympics, to feel somewhat sceptical. That, that is a very interesting take on that, just based on the film look. The trailer, yeah. I will come on to all of that in a bit. Let all me right. give a little bit of information about this film. So this is a film from a filmmaker and also a once professional cyclist, I think, who... Um, then retired because he wasn't good enough and they went into filmmaking okay this is brian fogel yep. he is with you right the way through the film and it's also starring in some ways this doctor gregory oh rachenkov rachenkov yeah. sorry if you're russian and i've said that horribly wrong um those are the two main characters of this story and basically brian he is a massive cyclist he's, he's a big fan of the sport and has been in, involved in it and he was idolizing Lance Armstrong and then with that oh, whole yeah. thing exploded and you hear reports of uh, how how he cheated the whole system and cyclists I think top 10 10 cyclists were all doping and they were using that to enhance their performance mm. and I think he might have even been ranked 14th at one point in the world and he thought Oh, I'm still. I'm even. Even if there is doping, I'm still f four places behind the yeah, next yeah, top yeah, guy yeah. who may or may not have been doping. And anyway, he decides he wants to investigate this whole thing about doping in cycling as a sport. And so, he, what he does is he contacts some uh, drug people, the people who help check whether or not you are doping or not, the the contingencies, the yeah. official organisations. And he decides he's going to go on steroids, basically, and see how much it would affect his performance, what it feels like oh, to interesting. do it. Okay. And so the first chunk of the movie is actually about him on steroids and that whole experience and how it's different than he realised. That's really interesting. And the, the rigorousness of what it needs to happen and how he would fake his results and what need, what he would need to do in order to, to produce the urine that would be clean. Got it. And, and he monitors his feeling of it. And then he competes in amateur competitions. Don't tell us whether he succeeds, because I'd imagine that's a big sort of reveal in the So he, he, com he competes in amateur competitions with this whole thing. And the question is, is would he be 
the best if he had doped? Got would it, he have beaten it. the others? That's his kind of the thing on his mind. Was he actually really good? Sounds and it brilliant. Was just, so yeah, great little thing. And that's, I think, how the whole documentary got started. But the person who's helping him do all this drug, drugging and doping and, and helping him understand how he can go around the rules yeah. is the guy, Dr. Gregory Rodchenkov. Gregory Rodchenkov, yeah. Who you heard in the, in the trailer there. He becomes absolutely essential because during the course of the filming, it turns out that all this stuff about Russia and the Olympics and how there was a major scheme, a state-funded scheme, to dope and get away with it and really affect the whole of the Olympic Games, London, Sochi, all the recent ones, Beijing. And apparently he is turning, turning around and saying, yes, I helped. I was the one who helped get past all these rules. I was no meant way. to be the anti-doping person, but I was the doping well, and person. And that's just an accident. He just happened to be making a documentary at the right time. Apparently, that is the, the big thing going on in the documentary and one of the big issues and question marks hanging over the film. I love the film. I thought it was great. It was really well told, really engaging, and it just seems like this sort of ever-expanding nuclear bomb of information and discovery yeah, right, right. that's rippling out and you've got this guy right at the centre of it. And this has happened before with documentary filmmakers. Do you remember when... Um, Louis Theroux was uh, having a weekend with those politicians. I forget their names now, but basically a scandal broke while he was doing that documentary, a massive sex scandal. And so he was working with them. And so he got to document this incident and he was part of it as well. And that happens with documentary filmmakers. They, They engage with somebody important because they're making a film about something or other. And then things happen. Yeah. And he seems to have struck up a really close bond with the guy who's genuinely one of the top people for Russia's anti-doping um, agency. must be uh, slapping themselves on the back uh, with their luck. Yeah, well, I think it's something which has been worked on for a long time. And maybe Netflix just thought, this is gold. Let's buy it right away. Yeah, right. But then there is that question of whether or not the film is, in fact more of a media product than reality. It's just some of the angles and the shot quality and composition just i don't know phil i'm not an expert but we've seen enough films that you i feel like you can spot when something has been composed as opposed to caught by accident and that's the thing which i constantly felt while i was watching the film because i was thinking hang on a second is this just dramatization are they trying to make more of this than it was and everything like that but then you've got the olympic committee seemingly to doing things in in light of what this guy is saying and what he's claiming and and suddenly it's just it's one of those weird moments where a documentary is purporting to present real life, but real life seems so ridiculous, so far fetched, so much like a sort of conspiracy, a film, like yeah. a pelican brief or yeah, sure. the firm, some sort of author's creation that you think, how on earth is this possible? And either that just means it's very, very well edited to make it really feel like that. But every, all the footage is completely truthful. And I think it'd be w- worth saying I'm not accusing the film of fraud at all. I'm no. sure it, I'm sure it is true, but it wouldn't surprise me if things have been edited and uh, maybe lines of dialogue got reset just for the sake of clarity but then but then having said all that the content of the documentary it, it I, I don't know what to think anymore basically because okay. it could be just that this is just a crazy event that he is involved in and he happened to be a filmmaker who was making a film and he knew this guy he has it seems to have a very established relationship with this random russian doctor and um, the Russian doctor himself, Gregory, he's this insane character. He's, he's he really? all, on Skype. He's always talking to this guy with his shirt off. And he's like, look at my dogs. And like, <laughs> and he's just sort of this crazy jolly man. He's got a bit of a beer 
belly and he's yet this massive like world-renowned scientist mm. who is knows all this stuff about drugs and apparently developed this new scheme to test drugs six months after they've been taken so he en- enhanced the rules and everything like that you've got this backdrop of george orwell being quoted and oh, right. double think and how he felt like he was He's working for the government, but he feels trapped by the government. And yeah, yeah. in order to be free, he has to be enslaved. And there's there's lots to this documentary. I have to recommend it, listeners. And it's on Netflix, so you can watch it right now if you have a Netflix yeah, account. Yeah, cool, good, cool. I mean, I've got lots of questions for it. Maybe we shouldn't keep going too long on it, but it does sound fascinating. Uh, I've got two questions for you. Number one, is this a film that is uh, Russia bashing? Is it saying this is all Russia? Because one of the things about the doping scandal... Uh, well, actually, this bleeds into my second question as well, which is essentially, is this a depressing watch? Because I, the more I hear about sports and the ways that the rules can be bent, the more I think basically all of it <laughs> is fixed everywhere on every, in every country's territory and everything else. So is this a film that says Russia is the big bad in the world of sports? Because that smacked me of propaganda. Ooh, that's a deep question. And I don't want to spoil anything in the in the documentary and... I I don't know. I think the impression I get is that you could take that angle from it. It's just there's been plenty of information since the Russian scandal that has implicated all kinds of other people. And that's the thing. I think maybe it's it's a film that's been made and this is what this is his personal direct link and it's the guy who's involved with just the Russian to me. Fine. He yeah, is the but, Russian guy yeah, yeah, for yeah, well, of course, and so that's and so therefore that's what it. he knows. But that's what I mean. Does the documentary is it just focus on these two guys or does it widen? I think it it, it specifically looks at the Olympics in in particular and how it was done, if it was done, why it was done, if it was done, all this sort of stuff. So I think regardless of whether or not the politics of the wider scope, is it just about propaganda, like you say, the content of it is just interesting. And the whole idea of doping and what it means for sport, what it means for like these committees who are trying to arrange and protect and the idea of corruption and everything like that. It's just fascinating and it's slightly a bit worrying because you think, oh my goodness, like it's just sport and yet you go to all this length for sport. Then also it makes you think, hang on a second, this does really matter. It really does matter that sport is clean and Brilliant. and I, I thought it was a great documentary. I found it very interesting. I'd really recommend it if you're at all interested in doping as a topic and if you like sport, well, it's not too heavy. you to go on steroids. And <laughs> no, but it's not too heavy on the sport side. Okay. That's the thing. And you see the picture and you think, oh, it's a guy who's involved in cycling. Yeah, got it, got it, got it. Oh, I'm not interested in cycling. I won't go in there. But it's actually such a wider scope and it's not really about that. It's about the whole concept of of just how these things happen. It's more about corruption than anything else. Fascinating, man. Well, you convinced me. Listeners, let us know if you do watch that, especially as it's so easily available. Give us uh, your thoughts on superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. That's Icarus, and the grade is... I think I'm going to give it an A. I really enjoyed it. Nice one. All right, well, man, from the sublime to the ridiculous, maybe, let's move on to Ratatouille. Ah, Paris, France. Home of the finest restaurants and the greatest chefs in the world. All my life, I've wanted to be one of them. You may think that's a strange dream for a rat, but I've always believed that with hard work and a little luck, it's only a matter of time before I'm discovered. Run! Yes, I'm Know what would happen if anyone knew we had a rat in our kitchen? Go! Take it away from here, garbage boy! Don't look at me like that! You're the one who was getting fancy with the spices! I need this job. I've lost so many. 
I don't know how to cook, and now I'm actually talking to a rat as if you... Did you not? You understand me? I can't cook, but you can, right? Look, don't be so modest. You're a rat for Pete's sake. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? We just need to work out a system so that I do what you want. Stop that! Stop what? Stop that! Flicking me out! I don't want to make things, Dad. Stay away from the humans. It's dangerous. Now shut up and eat your garbage. How did you do that? Just once in a lifetime. Let's do this thing! Man knows a moment. You gotta taste this! You detect that? An oaky nuttiness? Oh, I'm detecting nuttiness. We hate to be rude, but we're friends. I have a secret. I have a rat. You have a rat? He's toying with my mind, taunting me with that rat. It's getting away! Together, we can be the greatest chef in Paris. You're in Paris now, baby. My town. Hey. Mm, yes, this is Brad Bird directing, well, a rat who loves to cook. There's a rat who is not really understood by all his ratty peers and family because he doesn't really want to eat rubbish. <laughs> he doesn't love getting straight into the garbage. Uh, actually, he's fascinated by a cookbook that he's discovered by Chef Gusteau, who used to be this five-star chef with amazing new flavours. And every chance he gets, he combines, you know, great ingredients from this kitchen of the place that the rats are all based in, an old lady's home. And he loves to concoct new things. And, oh, isn't this beautiful? Mm, mm. Oh, and he yes, always says, anyone can seasoning. cook. Yes, anyone can cook. And that's Gusteau, Chef Gusteau's thing. Anybody can cook. There's a cooking at all of us. And it's probably no surprise that his love of food gets in the way. So he inadvertently gets seen by this old lady while he's desperately trying to keep a book or concoct a recipe. I can't quite remember. The old lady sees him, starts shooting him with a shotgun, and the rat colony is discovered. All his family and friends are discovered. They have to flee this home that he's always known. And he is cut off from them because he's trying to desperately save Chef Gusteau's cookbook. And naturally, through the sewers he finds himself in Paris Phil and uh, even more as luck would have it finds himself right near Gusto's restaurant which is in a state of disrepair it's starting to lose its reputation after Gusto's death and the chefs are kind of just peddling the same menu happy to let things slide they're moving into franchises with burritos isn't it I think well they're using the Gustav's legend as a way to then uh, produce mass produce fast food or, or microwavable food there we go right and, so uh, pure food and the love of food has disappeared from this once fount of chef-like uh, wonder and this is all in CGI listeners were nicely cartoonified and the real story begins when the mouse gets spotted uh, in the kitchen of Gusteau's while he's flitting around by the new what does he call like a kitchen boy he's the uh, bus boy that's right Linguini is his name and he's just come there for a job he used to be a friend of Gusto's while he was alive or his mum used to be a friend of Gusto's got Gusteau's. a letter saying that he should get a job there or something that's like right, that that's right but he doesn't know how to cook 
And so while he's sweeping away, he accidentally knocks over some soup. And to cover up his mistake, because he doesn't want to lose his job, he makes the soup. And the mouse, trying to escape the kitchen, says, oh, no, I can't let this boy leave that horrible soup on the hob. So the mouse just happens to go by, sprinkle in a few ingredients and turn it into the most delicious soup ever. Lo and behold, the boy sees the rat doing it and thinks, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And through a kind of another series of improbable events, the rat and the boy strike up a friendship and everyone starts to believe that this boy can actually cook because the rat is amazing somehow and has an incredible uh, nose or tongue, whatever, for flavours. And everyone... That's just like the first like chunk of the movie and it's so rich of detail and like characterization, all sorts. Yeah, it's dense. So I hope that wasn't too confusing to listen to listeners, but I'm sure you get the idea. Now, Phil, I think you like this film. That's the vibe I'm getting. I love this film. I think it's probably the best Pixar film. It's the last great Pixar film, I think. And also I think it's underrated. Underrated gem, in fact. That's really interesting. Now, I watched it with my daughter. This is another film. After Finding Dory, we moved on to Ratatouille. We watched it in two parts. She loved it. She called it the mouse film. And she talks about the mouse in the kitchen and the boy in the kitchen. Doesn't get much more detail than that, but she seemed to really enjoy it. Phil, I'm going to tell you, I'm not a big fan of this film. Oh, wrong. I'm wrong, sorry. Wrong, 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 I'm really wrong. sorry to say that. I don't think it's bad by any means, but let me list off a couple of key problems for you. And I'd like to hear your response. I don't think there are enough jokes. I don't find it. It's not very funny. What it is instead is very story heavy. So it's, you know, all about this mouse and this boy discovering themselves and discovering their place in the world. And there's not very much humour in it. There's levity, but it's way more a story. Like you're following these two try and live their dreams out in the most improbable way. And the second thing is that I think the way that the narrative is split means that you spend quite a lot of time and you start the film with this mouse. I can't remember the mouse's name, but it's Patton Oswalt is the... Um, it's Remy, isn't it? Oh, Remy, thank you, Phil, yeah. You spend quite a lot of time with him and that's the opening frame of the film. And there's the kind of the narrative about, oh, he doesn't really fit in with his family and he doesn't really know where his place is in the world. And is this ridiculous thing where he pulls the boy's hair to treat him like a puppet to cook? Is that sustainable? Does he want to be a chef? Does he want to be a, a puppet master for a human, but the human gets all the credit? There's all that going on. Then you've also got Linguini, who's this boy whose mum, you know, he doesn't seem to know where he fits in the world. He can't do anything. He doesn't really want to be a chef, but he also doesn't want to be alone in the world and he doesn't know what he's good at and and then he has there's a love interest with one of the lovely female chefs in the kitchen as well and those two halves of the story i think are almost unacceptably separate when they spend so much of the film together and it means that both of them feel a little bit rushed and i think that explains why there feels like there's too much story because you've got two almost completely separate narratives going on in tandem that are not really affected I, I, I disagree, I think, more than I ever have with you, Laura. Well, that's good. I think, it. I think it is beautifully woven together so that you have such a rich tapestry of things going on, which I think what is wonderful about the film is the fact that I think you, you said your little, little, little one, my niece, she enjoyed the film, didn't she? She did. I mean, it doesn't take that much to impress her. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't at all. But I think for for older people, for grown-ups, for teenagers, whatever, there's loads of things going on. There's loads of little story strands and characters that are interesting and engaging. And, um, and I think as well, there's that magic of food being presented to you and the idea of this world of the chef, the preparation, mm. the idea of being able to concoct something beautiful. And if you just add this little bit of something, it will transform a dish. Well, no, I'm, it's enchanting. 
Well, no, Phil, I don't disagree with you on those two things. And I do think it's very warm and the world it creates, which is kind of, I have to admit, an American tourist's version of Paris. Oh, absolutely. It's a fantasy, but it's, but it's yeah, a rat, in a, isn't it's it? A, it's Disneyland, basically. But it is lovely and it is a very attractive idea. And I don't dispute that for a second. Like, I love the scene where the rat makes him omelettes and they've got the view of Paris. Like, wouldn't you love to stay in that apartment and have omelettes overlooking the Eiffel Tower? Yes, I'm with you on that. But I noticed you haven't actually disputed either of the two things I said. I think I did. No, because you I, said that they are too separate. They don't engage with each other, and I think they do. But I don't want to okay. spoil the story at all. Oh, okay. And actually, I quite like the fact that it is, in fact, about the two leads. It's not about their wider context. They inform their character and why they would be doing this situation. So you've got very clear motivations. You've got very clear uh, directions of why they're in that situation. How that situation makes sense for both characters, in the sense that you've got Remy who wants to learn how to cook. He wants to be the sous chef he wants to be the trainee cook and that's what he's getting out of it the other guy is just desperate to like maintain his reputation that he's somehow fallen into where he is actually talented Mm -hmm. and they both feel like they need to do this in order for the for the the restaurant to survive and for them to not be found out as frauds i get it no no no, i get it i get it i get it so you've got that then you've got the whole context of the inspector desperately looking for rats and then you've got the fact that there is a rat in well, now that's the other thing as well, and I think there's no disputing this. It is a Marmite thing. I think that more strongly than anything else, some people, I think, will actually have a visceral physical reaction to this film. What, because it's a rat? Rats handling food. And there's even <laughs> like lots of rats handling food. And uh, have you ever come in contact with a rat, Phil? Uh, once or twice. They're I have horrible. had a dead rat on the porch outside my house, and I had to carry it by its tail to the bin. And I use, don't feel use, very... Use a spade, man. Or I know, use I didn't think about it. I put a plastic glove on it. It was a <laughs> okay, bad day. Fine. It was horrible. But I think it genuinely is Marmite. Some people will just hate it too much. Do you not think this is classic Pixar stuff where you take one thing which is one, like has a massive reputation, and you put it with the most unlike it fit situation I don't see and make a story around that. It's at all with Pixar. You've got rats and uh and Well, that makes sense and... for this film, but what about Finding Nemo or Toy Story? Okay, okay. Chill your beans. I was just about to come there, my friend. <laughs> You've got rats, nothing to do with kitchen, nothing to do with food. They're like garbage vermin. And yet here's this one, which is loving food and all of it. That's classic contrast and juxtaposition, like a fish out of water, but a rat in a kitchen. Then you've also got the things which uh, Pixar does in other films in the golden era. Toys, they're lovely, they're for children. And yet here they are, mature adults, jealous, uh, mean, nasty, conniving. Woody is like the antithesis of what you'd imagine mm-hmm. a toy to be like. Then you've got Sully and Mike Wazowski, monsters. They're working professionals who are doing a job. Rather than being these horrible monsters trying to eat children, they're literally going in, doing a job. It. We're taking a long time to say all this, but I, I, I forgot that when we do, when we just create a film, we talk for ages, don't we? <laughs> I hear everything you're saying, but I don't think I enjoyed it very much. And the sort of final nail in the coffin for me I felt like was a direct finger pointing at me, Phil, because tell me that you don't remember a scene in which a food critic literally eats humble pie and he says these phrases. Surely we as critics thrive off uh, negative reviews. They're enjoyable to write, but even the most menial bit of creativity adds more to the world than the most overwrought review we could write. I can't believe 
that is in the film. I disagree because I remember that scene very well. And actually, I think it's making a very different point, which is the idea of a critic being actually an important idea because not because of the idea of tearing down something. Oh, because it's their job to show something new. You're, no, 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 that's no, what, no, That's no. what he says. So he said, we can find the new and the innovative and bring it to a wider audience. And that's exactly what critics, things. I think, should do. And this is something which actually I'm going to talk about Mark Commode. Sorry, listeners, it's going into a bit of a... This is way too long. We're going to have to cut out lucky number 11. Sorry, we'll save it for another day. But... His big thing was when a film is good, you need to say, I like this film, even if everyone says it's rubbish. Mm -hmm. You need to say, this is a good film. This is worth your time. And Laurie, of all people, you are a champion of this. You take the film, which is everyone's saying is terrible, and you see the good, you see the positive, and you say, no, I'm going to protect this film. I'm going to say it's worth your time. Yeah, but you know what, Phil? I also say avoid American Assassin. And I don't think American Assassin, you know, is a more noble endeavour than me telling you how terrible it is. So that's what the critic says. No, but I think I think it's. I think he's feeling Brad Birds must be feeling a bit sore after Cars Two or whatever. He didn't direct Cars Two, so stop projecting your little (laughs) silly point. But I, I, listeners, don't listen to Laurie. I'm going to offend Ratatouille from your meanness because I think my grade Phil would probably be a B. I put. I think it's a really underrated gem. It's got such a warmth to it, such a richness to the characterization of the world. It's a magical sort of version of Paris. It's characters which are, I agree, it's not hilarious or laugh out loud, but it's, it's way such a, more for grown-ups than it is for kids. It's such one. a strong story, which I think children can still engage with on a basic level. But as they watch it more and more, they see the broader context and the rippling out and the levels it's working on. It's a little bit like an animated version of that Jean Favreau film, Chef. No, it's not. It is. It's way more similar in tone to that than you think it is. No, it's Chef's not. funnier as well. No, it's not. Laurie, oh, you're winding me up like life. nothing else. Listeners, put us out of our misery. This is a massive division division, division yep, between us is. both. So really, this is the time where you need to give your plus ones and minus Ratatouille. ones. Ratatouille, is it good or does it need to be flushed down the drain? I don't Ooh, think it should be. B indeed. is fine. I think it's I think average. it's a great film. So right. listeners, if you agree with me, send me a plus one. If you disagree with me, by all means, give me a minus one or give Laurie a plus one. I don't think he should get anything for this. Well, we shall see. He talks lies. Don't listen uh, to him. I certainly haven't lied. Right, well, lucky number 11. We'll have to wait another day. That's the end of what we've been watching. Right, email song, Phil. No, I refuse. Good. Jolly good. Oh, no. A few no. precious emails, seconds emails, of time. <laughs> Listeners, thanks so much for being in touch on this. I really think you should read emails because my voice must be horrible to listen to. I think it's got a raspy enchantingness. That's what you say now when yeah. it's coming in your ears. Maybe not. Okay. Uh, the Pixel Bro got back in touch again. He said he had more to offer and he's given it. He's got cheese or wine, Phil, oh. from Eons back. I believe the first ever Resurrected from the grave. Your favourite feature. Can you remember what the first one was? Very f- the very first China- Cheese of Wine was Chinatown. Correct. And that is what he's going to talk about. Cheese of Wine, listeners, is an old film. And we're trying to figure out whether it's like a cheese left in the cupboard that goes off or like a fine wine left in the cupboard that over time improves. So the Pixel Bro says, Cheese or Wine, finally watch Chinatown on your recommendation. Minus one to Laurie for incorrectly identifying a trumpet in the soundtrack. He remarked lots of saxophone and jazz and stuff. Oh dear, I can't, I can't remember that. That's probably just being dismissive. This is a difficult thing. We can't respond because no, you don't remember what we said or I'm not. I'm sure I was just being snooty, Pixel Bro, in my very cavalier fashion that Phil calls me out on. Uh, he goes on, but plus one to both of you for noting many of the brilliant elements to this. One of its strongest was managing to create knowingly contrived, almost melodramatic fulfilment of foreshadowing brackets Evelyn's eye water and Chinatown itself which nonetheless moved and satisfied I also noticed how hapless he was as a character despite appearing suave and world weary this is Jack Nicholson yeah that's totally true he's sort of at the mercy of everything isn't he he was interrupted while snooping several times and looked awkward and caught out every time 
Noah Cross, who's the businessman, an astonishing villain. How did they make posh buildings so menacing? <laughs> Good question. Uh, definitely a 22 always goes down smooth. I think he's making a wine reference. <laughs> mm, indeed. Uh, much like San Diego. I thought, wasn't it, what was, isn't it whiskey that always goes down smooth? Whiskey. In Anchorman. It still works. I get, I get what you're saying, Pixel Bro. Chinatown listeners is a great movie. I loved watching it. I think it's a classic. Christopher Nolan, if, in case you're interested, uh, I think he makes every single person on his uh, production uh, whenever he's doing films. Watch that film. Uh, just see what a great film it is. How very Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I Too know. bad. He's never made a film as good as it then. <laughs> oh, Laurie. <laughs> Come on, you love it. No, you don't. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I really don't. Okay, and The Natural got in touch about American Made, Tom Cruise's drug running movie. We've just seen American Made, and although we agree that Tom Cruise is unmistakably Tom Cruise, we disagree with Laurie that it gets in the way. Actually, we both quite like the film, and in fact, his performance was quite finely judged. He actually writes funely judged, <laughs> which I like the sound of. Uh, I would even say it was good acting. Okay, the accent wasn't great, but to try to accurately convey a slightly sleazy, morally dubious guy who's in it for the money and the thrills, while still believing that he cares about his family and has genuine intelligence to handle tricky and dangerous situations, is not an easy performance to keep in the balance. He does it, and in an entertaining, very watchable way. Do you think you can really say that, okay, the accent's not great? If you're an actor... It's like half your job, isn't it, to be convincing? Yeah, I didn't mind the accent. You were bugged by it in the uh, trailers. I, I think the natural, what I'd say to you is, I hope I was clear that I felt there were moments and long stretches of the film where I kind of did forget that this is Tom Cruise, Tommy Cruise. But you cannot deny that he is one of the very few movie stars in the world who has that effect on the screen. And I'm glad that you're able to sort of put that to one side. But you can't have missed that it's Tom Cruise and all that that entails. Do you, know, do you agree with me, Phil? Yeah, he is Tom Cruise in a movie star. Tom Cruise I mean, as bona fide, or whatever the phrase is. So, but but I'm really glad you're able to detach yourself from that. We both felt he carries on that the cinematography, the lighting, and the design really nailed the period accurately with a perfect period quality soundtrack. Yes, I agree with that. We also remember some of the history from news reports about the Iran Contra scandal. Oh wow, that's cool. So you got real life experience. He goes on. So it was interesting to see an angle on what may have led up to that. Interestingly, there is a very similar political question with almost identical ambiguity shown by Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in the true story of Charlie Wilson's War, the Tom Hanks film. That's a great film. It is. Although American Made has a suggestion of comedy because of Barry Seals, that's Tom Cruise's character's playful, thrill-seeking character, there are serious questions left in one's mind at the end. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I thought they were slightly unbalanced in tones, but yeah, they're certainly there. He goes on, so I think a more serious film than its viewing experience might suggest, but I say that in a good way. Donald Gleeson, surprisingly excellent and convincing. Yes, I thought he basically outacted Tom Cruise in their scenes he together. It's slowly becoming like a bona fide superstar, I reckon. Yeah, he's good, isn't he? I hope his roles in Star Wars don't sort of tarnish that. I don't think he will because he's he's popping up in everything. Yeah, he's it's good. kind of becoming at the moment I'd say he's like Stanley Tucci. He's in projects and he's generally quite a good part of it. Not quite at that level yet, but I know what you're saying. You should watch him in this because he's got a brashness and confidence that I just haven't seen in any of his other roles. He's very good. Some great sarcastic laughs and nervy like jitteriness. It's good. Uh, final note. Altogether worryingly, casually, crazily, awful story. Even if not wholly true, there's enough basis in reality and a very well put together film. There we go. Thanks very much, The Natural. That's great. And now, Phil, brace yourself. A couple of thoughts on the name. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. has got in touch. Dear Super Bailey Bros, it would break 
my heart if you guys ditch your identity as a super baby bros. You can't say that you're still SBB in your heart, your core. After the name change, that's just rubbish. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's that's said in no... Uncertain terms. Uh, yeah, indeed. He's got a big but here. Ready? Oh, right. Okay. But I am up for just changing the order of things around. So I am totally okay with something like Movie Land in capitals, your new brand podcast with the Super Bailey Bros. You have to at least continue to mention your name every time and he and then he gives me some advice about registering a domain name uh, which i have looked into <laughs> i mean it's just, there's a lot of passion here he ends it with please don't break our hearts as always lots of love for your most faithful fan thank you very much for the passion in that Confucius. i feel that i have to tell you that we can't do that if we change it at all super baby bros is the thing that's going uh so i don't know because otherwise it, like you say it's just swapping it is around. I'm, unfortunately i think this has to come down to this idea that it's a cons- consultation isn't it it's like uh, when the government asks what people think and then just does it once anyway well this, the, the laurie's is- gonna have an unending <laughs> thing i'm on your side i want to keep some part of the bailey bros brand oh, i want to keep some of it but i think yeah and look the thing is this is what if it's helpful you need to think of this as i'm not doing it for you guys because I know you enjoy listening and I'm so glad that you do. I'm amazed that you do, but really glad. I'm doing it for all those guys who don't yet listen, that we would love to listen. Yeah, indeed. It's just making it a bit more palatable for those people not in the know. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Another one, Gavin says, hey, he's got a nice extra email, but he starts out with one on the name. Even if you fiddle with things, you should defo operate under the Super Bailey Bros moniker. It clearly sticks out against what's out there. Have to disagree, Gavin. The Super Movie Bros podcast added me on Twitter only last week. (laughs) (laughs) The fiends. Uh, Yeah, but it isn't so cheesy, he says, you won't be taken seriously. So far that has been the case, but I feel like I can just see it in the smiley eyes of those radio presenters. Laurie, Laurie can't get past that, can you? Is no, every... I mean, in, in this case, I am the only person who knows what it's like to sit in that. Well, you've been there. I've but been there. Past, Don't you though, forget, do you I was not... there on the hour special we did at Christmas. That's true, Phil. What do you think? Do you think they take that seriously? I have definitely seen them struggle, and I've watched producers write down bros like nose rather really? than rather than not bros like yeah it's, it's whatever just, it's just a funny thing about being in that environment uh, he goes on to say it also suits your personalities and presentational style affable and relatable because i don't mainly listen to you for the content ouch oh thanks <laughs> but, very much but for the way in which the content is presented though having said that if the content was rubbish i'd gently let you know and stop listening like i did with a couple of other podcasts that i feel i can't name you know for you know tell me afterwards peer, yeah. Peer reasons yeah 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 well gavin that's that's very kind of you so I'm, I'm really glad you enjoy us we you know we wouldn't change laurie and phil hey it's laurie and phil those guys i mean come on <laughs> it's funny this is this is i feel like we're gonna break some hearts sorry well so it would seem well that's it so far this week anyway for name comments keep your thoughts coming in listeners but i hope you can see that if we changed it i promise you it would be for good reasons and well now I, I feel conflicted myself phil oh dear oh dear uh, a couple of other tweets and then we can move on my voice is so dead you're doing well my friend you're doing well <laughs> it's as terrible Quite nice having not to compete with your loud and rambunctious voice. tones. You're much louder than me, I've told you this. It's always <laughs> like that. I had to reduce your game. All right, whatever. <laughs> okay, I project. It's good. No, you've got a natural voice better than me, man. It's true. Uh, Esther got in touch and says, Atsu Belly Bro's suggestion. What I've been watching includes an Oscar winner each time and discussion whether they were worthy or not. And I think Esther then sort of came back after that and said, Atsu Belly Bro's yes to themes. So I think she is... Saying that, oh yeah, do that as one of your themes, Oscar winners from... A That'd be great, I'd be well up for that, so that's a great little theme. I think we probably couldn't include an Oscar winner every week, because the show would just be too long, wouldn't it? And 
Well, we could do that as a as a little project in you know, our what we've been watching. Well, we could come back to it as a regular theme kind of thing. Uh, for... Just work backwards, go through the years, Argo and what's it's not. But Grant, I'm glad you're excited about themes. She also added in at Super Belly Bros. I'm getting too warm in my stupid gilet. Thumbs up for this final comment. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching you unzip that gilet and thinking, yeah, why are you wearing a gilet? I was quite pleased that the zipping sound came through on the microphone. <laughs> it gave you painted so, a bit better of a picture. I thought I'd leave it in, yeah. It was way too warm. Uh, and then Cal got in touch, ready, steady yourself, Phil. Minus one to Phil. Why, why, why? For texting during the film It to Laurie to say you're a wimp. Tut, tut. Oh, let me be very clear. This was right at, right at the very beginning. Well, I don't think it was in the first scene. I don't think it was in the first scene. And it was like, oh my gosh, what have I got myself in for? So, and let me be very clear. I shielded it from anyone around. I had a quick look around to make sure my phone wasn't. Yeah, I did it in the most uh, kind uh, way. Mm. And Laurie. Let me be clear. If I'm going to go down, I'm taking you down with me. I've sat in cinemas where you start typing notes. Yeah, I've stopped doing that, though, when Odin told me to stop it. Uh, they really? Yeah, they did. I think there was two people in the cinema, of which I was one, and they said I couldn't use my phone in the cinema. Uh, so I have stopped making notes. You know, but it is an interesting question, because in the national press showings I've been to, it's interesting watching professional film critics do their thing, because they chat to each other sometimes. And like some of them have got funny little notepads um, with little lights at the end of their pencils and stuff. It's actually a challenge. If you've got to do reviews for films... You want to jot down ideas and bits and bobs. It's hard to keep, hold on to the details because you want to have that zingy quote. But in, either way, I've stopped doing it. So minus one to you and not to me. <laughs> I thought we said minus ones were only for film reviews. So I'm not, I'm not taking it. technically true. I'm not taking it. But, you know, take the chasing and I take the chastising the and I apologise. I did try and do it in a... Con- he was afraid, Cal. He needed a bit of support. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Final two, Nicholas at Super Belly Bros. Thanks for getting in touch, Nicholas. Congrats, Phil, for watching a horror movie at the cinema. Well, there you go. He swings around <laughs> us. Uh, and he goes on, I can't believe I now hear hot off the press news first from Super Belly Bros. Re Star Wars and JJ Abrams. That was just fortuitous, isn't yeah, it? It's I not like we got some either. industry in <laughs> Don't get used to it. Yeah. Uh, and he also says, uh, hashtag movie theme, how about catching up on classic foreign movies or Philip K. Dick films? Uh, and then he says, Super Baby Bros in Movie Land Forever, which I think is his. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's yeah. getting it very strongly. The diehard fans are fans of the brand. I'm certainly up for classic foreign films. Yeah, maybe best picture, best foreign picture winners. And I like the idea of doing Philip K. Dick films. I think we've kind of inadvertently covered quite a few of them. He, yeah, we have. He's quite intense, that chap. I'm not sure I'm always on board with some of his uh, novels, but yeah, it'd be an interesting theme. Thanks so much, guys. That's great. Do send in your suggestions for themes. I think we're going to try and do a video game theme next week. Well, possibly, unless we end up doing Kingsman. So, so whatever. Swings but then, around Yeah, exactly. I was it again? Six of one, half the other, did you say? <laughs> um, I don't even remember the phrase. I, couldn't, I can't even remember my own phrases. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks, listeners. Right, listeners, thanks so much for tuning in to episode 40 of season two of the Super Belly Bros Movie Land, currently named. Uh, I hope you enjoyed hearing those films. I hope my voice hasn't been grating and painful to listen to. I appreciate you putting up with it, especially you, Phil. I don't mind. Recording. It kind of reminds me of that episode of Friends where Phoebe gets a cold and she's like, Smell the <laughs> And it adds a whole, like, another dimension to the chat. Mm, I don't think I think more people will be, be upset about my nasally little nerd voice. So. I think it's not going to be as audible as you think, Phil. Nasally little nerd voice, how very disrespectful. Hi, guys. 
That's very rude. I'm not accepting that. I'm saying it about myself. I'm not saying it about anyone else. <laughs> Listeners, tune in next week either for a video game themed special. You know, such gems as Super Mario Bros. might be included. I, you know, as soon as you suggest that, I was like, I want to watch that one. There are some great fighting ones as well, like Street Fighter, oh, Mortal yeah. Kombat, Dead or Alive Man. There are some classics we could really dig into. Resident Evil, even perhaps, all that stuff. Um, or it will be Kingsman, the Silver Circle, the Secret Circle. The Golden Circle. The Golden Circle, thank you. And any other new releases we can make it to in time. But other than that, have a really great week. Try not to get sick like me. <laughs> and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Not off for now. Bye. Phil, do you have something for us this week, bonus style? I have something, but it's not really a form bonus. It's not like one of those little packaged things with a nice, pithy title. I've got a very similar thing, so let's hear yours. We just ramble our way through. Yeah, that's what we always do, man. Have you ever noticed how like, you can just really, really tell when a foreign product is being sold in, in England? <laughs> I recently saw some like weird chocolate bar thing, and it was called like Krokenberg or something. And it was this hazelnut wafer <laughs> with like half a cup of chocolate on top, and you're just thinking... This is clearly not from Britain, but they're trying to break into the UK market. I love that. It's one of my favourite things, especially when some of those adverts make it onto TV and, and it's something so funny. <laughs> Toffifi, I remember that one. Oh, Toffifi, like... it's strange, isn't it? <laughs> and it's like a tray of these like weird little kind of you, budget sweets. It's funny though, because I get sad when the other thing happens and brands that are global very heavily modify their presence uh, on different continents. So for example, like Muck Cafes are not really a thing here, are they? Have you noticed that? No, they don't. nobody cares about them. It's where, just like, oh, it's just a coffee from McDonald's. Whereas if you go to France, for example, as we did in Nice, they're everywhere and they sell some really nice stuff. That is where I discovered the Noisette, my uh, new Ponzi coffee that dazzles what is, everyone. What is that? And the Noisette is basically a, a Cortado. It's the colour of the coffee. <laughs> What's a Cortado? Oh, Phil, come on. Man. It's like a double espresso with hot milk, very little foam. Delicious. Of course, obviously I'd know that. Best if way I, if I hear Cortado. But this is my point. I discovered that, that in a Muck Cafe of all places. <laughs> And it's just, I, sometimes I get sad that, because I think, how does that reflect on the country that like we nobody wants McCafe, nobody we, wants a we nice coffee chips. shop. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think I get sad nuggets, when nuggets, I notice those differences. Nuggets. Like famously, a lot of washing up powders are named different things uh, in overseas territory. Like isn't Sif called something else? And there's all different... If you know what I'm talking about or There's not. stuff to do with pronunciation. And then there's also stuff to do with, like, um, British culture. Because you know what Walker's is when it's uh, abroad. Lay's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't want to be talking about Lay's Chris. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but then you also get the flip side of that, which is amazing exotic cereals, especially in, like, French supermarkets. I remember that on school trips. Oh, that man. was a big thing. I remember you, like, older brothers, when they went to, like, the French school trip, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. bringing back cereal. That was, Checks. like, the big exciting thing. <laughs> yeah. They were never that nice, though. Some of them were great. Like, the weird chocolate. It was, like, eight Rice Krispies. No, that's the one I was thinking. Is it nice? I used to like that stuff. It was like, it, it looks like it's chocolate, but it just looks like rabbit poo. Uh, you've done well there, man. No, I'm completely with you on that stuff, yeah. Well, I think I'll leave my bonus for another time. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I was very good, man. Thanks. <laughs> that sounds so patronising, because mine is so rubbish. It's just that you never, you just don't have very much. I know, yeah. Well, that I'm was just, great. I'm just always terrible. More of the same, please. Nothing terrible about that. Don't look at me like that, Judith. You really put me off. <laughs> he was doing well there. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is how the podcast goes, you know? I've got to put emotion into it. It's a bit of a performance, especially with my poor voice. How do you not feel more sorry for me? <laughs>